I want you to turn to the Gospel of John. John 10 and verse 10. I have reflected this week on the subject of the abundant life. And I know there are misconceptions about what that means. I'm sure there is vagueness about what that means. And so that some people seem to embrace what Jesus called the abundant life while others are not sure. And there are those who would try to tell you that it doesn't include this, it doesn't include that. And there's some murky ideas about what is meant by the abundant life. And so I want to do some spiritual reflections on abundance and the abundant life because it is promised. I'm going to title the message this morning, Abundant Abundance. If you can spell all of that, you're good. Abundant Abundance. Jesus said in John 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's his work. Jesus said, I am come that they, meaning us, might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. I want that. It has to be good because Jesus brought it. There's a number of scriptures in the Bible that tell us why Jesus came. He came to save sinners, to seek and save the lost, and, and several other places. And it has to do with basically just save us from our sins. But here he says, I am come with all those other reasons he came, that his people might have life abundant. Now, those who warn us about the message say, well, if you get into that abundant stuff, you mislead people. You see, they'll start thinking that, you know, if you go to church and you get saved, then you get rich. Well, you know, there's warnings about that. There's warnings about that attitude, both ways. You know, Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, in verse 15, he said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he has or possesses. So this message is not about how many possessions can you gain, because that doesn't mean you necessarily have an abundant life. There are people in the world that you're probably read about, or maybe know, that have gained a lot of this world's good, have, you know, two or three houses and many of these and four of those and can go anywhere and have anything and do anything, and yet they depend on drugs to get up and go every day. Or they have bad attitudes, they don't trust anybody, they're miserable people, they're not happy. I don't care how much you have in the way of this world's good. If you're not at peace and you're not happy, you don't have an abundant life. Because God's people who are content with such things as they have doesn't mean they can't ask for more. If I had one pair of shoes and one candy bar left or one stick of broccoli for the health people... And that was all I had. I could be content with that. It doesn't limit me from asking God for more. Because Jesus himself said, ask and you shall receive. Knock and it shall be opened. There's more. What things soever you desire. See, you have that alongside a warning about being covetous. You're talking about something in the abundant life that really the Spirit of God has to show you in your heart. We can teach on all the different aspects of it and bring out what the scripture says about it. 
But this has to be put in a place in your heart or has to be settled in your heart so that you understand that there's a life you get to live that is different from the life you could have had to live had it not been for Christ. Christ adds a dimension to your life. Things are refocused in your life. Things that were so important once that you lived and struggled and did everything to get now become a matter of prayer. Ask and you shall receive what things ever you desire. Now, having that out of the way, let's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added to you. That's the abundant life. Knowing in your heart that God is for you and not against you. Knowing that what Jesus brought and what it says about him, he brought it for you. The kind of life he wants you to live. Life. Getting up every day and, and not being afraid to face today because you have promises that will secure you today. That's life. That's a good life. Let's go back to John 10. There's another verse in the Bible concerning Jesus. It says, in him we live and we move, Acts 17, and we have our being. He is our life. There is no such thing as an abundant life outside of a Christ-centered Christ-led life. That only can equal the abundant life. And again, it's a life that's full of faith. Look what faith does. Ask and you shall receive. What things ever you desire when you pray, believe. And God is the one who gave us that. He's the one who said all of that. So whatever our life is about, make sure it's about what he's offered what honors him, and what he's pleased with in your life. It's all about Jesus. The whole thing is about Jesus. It's not about you and me and our new couch and our new car. It's all about Jesus. I know people that have very little that are as happy as they can be. They don't need more. I know people who have come to a place that what they have is just wonderful. It may not be the best in the world. It may not be what you would want, but for them, it's praise God, I am happy. And they come to church and are full of joy. That's the abundant life. That's the abundant life. A person who's living an abundant life doesn't drag around. You're not arguing all the time. You're not fussing all the time. You're not stressed all the time looking for somebody to blame. That's not the abundant life. There's a way God says to deal with all of that. That's the abundant life. The ability to live free. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That's the abundant life. The smile on your face, that joy that's in your life, that little bounce that's in your step. People knowing you as a person who has found peace and joy. It doesn't matter what you got or if your colors match, you just know that... I'm as happy as I could be. I love my wife. I love my children. My children love me. My wife loves me. I have lots of friends that I love and lots of friends who love me. Let me ask you, what more, other than the final salvation that comes, what more do you want? You can't drive a car big enough to make people like you. They may covet after you, but that doesn't mean they like you. They may not like you. But Jesus changes everything. 
because when in him we live and in him we move, exist and go about our life, and in him we have our reality of who we really are, that's the abundant life. Now, in John 10, Jesus said two things, two contrasts here. He said, first of all, he says, the thief. Now, who is the thief? Well, it's uh, a.k.a. the devil, also known as the devil. This is what he does. And the one thing that Jesus said he does do, he comes to steal, he comes to kill, he comes to destroy. You think of all the ways that happens today from war and terrorism disease, various kinds of accidents, thieves that break in to steal and destroy. All that is of the devil. And we have all learned to live with it. Before Christ, you learn to live with it. You sort of learn to expect it, like the guy who caught a burglar one night breaking in his house. He held him at gunpoint, I think, and he said, there's somebody I want you to meet before I call the police. He took him upstairs and said, my wife's been expecting you for years, and I want you to meet her. <laughs> we learn to live with it. We learn to cope with it. We just hope it doesn't happen to us. We drive places and hope we make it. We hope in the rain or the snow. Or we hope, you know, that we get a better job or this, or you get over your whatever you're going through. We just learn to live with it because we expect it because the devil has trained us all in this world to think negative and to think down and to hope for the best and that's all you got. And then Jesus comes along. And our minds are drilled like that, that worldly negative way. And then Jesus comes. He says, hey, I've come for you. I've come to seek and save you who are lost. Let me tell you something. I'm come for you so that you now can have a abundant life. And we say, uh, what do you mean? Well, I could mention a lot of things. What do he say in 3 John 2? That you may prosper and be in health? And what do we do? Uh, that sounds a little too good. What's your angle? See, we're trained like that. It's hard for the abundant life to penetrate that old life. That's why Paul said the mind has to be renewed, that we have to be changed with information. We're trained to think a certain way. We're trained, to, therefore, to act a certain way. For as a man thinketh, so is he. So the world taught us to expect to be sick, expect to die this way. You need insurance. You got to have that. You, you know, that you never know. And anything positive, well, I don't know about that. And here comes God, the most positive influence in the world. He said, I'm the Lord that healeth thee. And he said, well, I don't know about that. And we measure God by looking at people. You know, well, look at all the people that aren't healed. As though going to church means you get healed. Or reading the Bible means you get the abundant life. There's more to what I want to say than I can say this morning. I'm going to take my time because I think I want to get this point across that we are here to live an abundant life. Jesus has come to change everything for us. But boy, we oppose it. You know, you take the message of, of prosperity. There is a biblical message of prosperity. And in some verses, it's pretty extravagant. And because of the dread I guess that it might be true. Many religious people are writing books against it. 
so that when you pick up the book, you go back to where you used to be, the old way your mind used to think. Well, yeah, I know, but you better be careful. I don't know about all that stuff. I mean, you can't just say that what things ever you desire when you pray that God's going to give it to you. I mean, come on. Church is full of people who pray all night long and get nothing. And they're still so negative. And they write negative books, and people read negative books, and they buy negative books, and they turn on the negative program, and they listen to negative preachers. And then you come to a positive message, and you oppose it. I remember, I remember early on when I'd get some of those tapes, and I'd think, uh, you don't know about that. Because my mind opposed it. You think of this. Here I am. I got a new spirit within me, brand new spirit. I'm a saved man. I'm alive unto God. And yet the very thing that God is saying, I question. How can it be? Can a man be saved, have the spirit of God, God himself living inside of him, and have a problem with the word? Of course why would he have to have his mind renewed? Why does the Bible have to keep talking about it? The Bible speaks of it all the time. About learning. About resisting the Lord. And about the reason that my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. And yet when you teach them, Jeremiah said, they don't want to hear it. They have eyes to see, they have ears to hear, but they don't want it. Why? Because something about the old way was more about me. And something about the new way is all about him. And I've got to give up everything I'd ever learned in my mind. It's the way it functions. I've got to give up all of that in order to, I found, uh, what's that, Romans 6, 4, walk in newness of life? Well, I don't know, Lord, that seems... Uh, but that's our challenge. How many times have you sat here through the years? I know you won't admit it. There'll be no hands raised here. But I wonder how many times you've heard something that God said that was different than the way you thought it was. And you went, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. There's no disease that God cannot heal. There's no advancement of any disease that God cannot turn it around and fix it. There is nothing too hard for God. Now, you know that's true, but the disease part, everybody you ever knew that had a certain kind of disease, they all died. And it's hard to penetrate that because that thing's stuck in your mind. It's an opposition to God. The psalmist also said, Soul, why art thou disquieted within me? Something's talking to something. Soul. Your spirit says, hey, up there, your mind, that's where your, your thinking is, where your will is, where you make choices. You figure out with this and whatever seems to be most logical and sensible, that's what you choose. I don't care what God said unless God has taken over. Your mind's being renewed. Then you choose God. So, what's wrong with you? Come on, choose God. Well, I don't know. And consequently, folks, we have learned to memorize Scripture and quote it, there's a certain kind of good feeling about that. But when it comes to actually living a life that's abundant, there's still an uncertainty about it. But Jesus said, the thief, he comes to take. The devil is here to take away from people. 
That's all it wants to do is take away from you. Your joy, your peace, wants you to be full of grief and sadness and sorrow, wants you to murmur and complain, wants you to be negative because he is. He wants you to twist and distort things and tell a lie because he's a father of lies. He weaves himself all through society to make you think like that because people think like that. And the more you listen to it, the more it begins logical. And you start thinking like that. Then Jesus comes along and says, I'm coming so you might have life. And you think, eh, that'd be nice. That'd be nice, but man. Come on, let's get real for a minute. I mean, how can that be? And in reality, that's the way a lot of people are. That's why a lot of people struggle in church. Because the old way just doesn't want to let go of your mind. You just don't want to let go of it. But Jesus said, I'm come to give. The devil comes to take. Jesus said, I've come to give. I've come to give you something that you could not have if I did not give it. At no time in history has a people continually had an abundant life. They lived in fear. They lived in terror or dread or negative expectancy, you know, this is probably going to, waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's been a real difficult time. But Jesus said, now, I've come. I've come that you people in Shelbyville, Kentucky, you folks wherever you are and around the world, sounds big, doesn't it? I've come that you might have life. I've come that you might live on a scale higher than you've ever been taught or trained to know. I've come that you might have a way of living, a way of being that is supernatural. Because the word abundance has to do with superfluous, more than enough. Even in some cases, an extravagance. I've come that you might have that. There will be a time you need that. There will be a time that that's necessary. But I've come so that the end of every day of your life when you lay in your bed, you could smile. Thank you, Lord, for the day. No matter how it went, no matter what happens, no matter how you feel, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. That is an abundant life. Because if you have to have a garage full of cars and all excesses and all of that, all those other things, well, you're just going to worry about it. You're going to fret about it. You wonder who's going to come and try to get it. Talk me out of it. You get suspicious. But when Jesus comes, you believe all things, trust people, give and it shall be given unto you. How? Good measure, pressed down and barely making it to the top. Couldn't be running over because that's really too much. I mean, that's just too much for us to believe. But didn't he say running over? That sounds like more than enough to me. And Jesus said that in Luke chapter 6. But that's what he said. He came to give and not to take. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly in Ephesians 3.20, unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or because you've learned to think wrong and he can do better than what you're thinking. 
He can. He can say, come on, let's go a little higher. I claimed a new car years ago, but I first started with a used one. I don't know that I had new car faith, but I sure had better used car faith, and he gave me a new one. You know why? I don't either, but he said he is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond what you ask or think. God still is the one who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. He doesn't say, you folks are asking for too much. There's a crowd up here in heaven at the prayer office. He never does say that. He encourages you to ask. You have not because you ask not. And you're crying over something that God would give you. You're fretting over something that God can fix. You're all tore up because of something that, that God could eliminate. The elimination, the fixing, and the healing. That's the abundant life, and it's yours, but we have trouble tapping into it. We just don't know how that could possibly be all the time. Would you turn to Acts 26? Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Now, this is what Jesus did. I've got two verses I want you to see, this one and then one in Isaiah. But let's look in Acts first. God said to Paul on the road to Damascus when he knocked him off of the horse, he fell to the ground and became blind. Y'all remember that? And he said, I'm going to send Paul to the Gentiles. And what he's going to do, he's going to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. And turn them from the power of Satan into the power of God. That's what God is doing, isn't he? Listen to it again. Paul, this will be the effect and the design of your message. What you preach, the words when I give them to you, and they're not man-made, but when they're inspired, the words that I'm going to give you will do this. They will turn people from the darkness that's in their life. Darkness equates to hopelessness and uncertainty and being unsettled. Your message will so penetrate all that that you'll turn them from darkness to what? Light. When the light comes on, you go, oh, praise God, I see it. You remember when you saw things early on? Man, I've been robbed. I've been cheated, me and Bonnie said. After we heard the message of faith, I think the second message, we've been robbed. We knew that what we heard was right. We've been robbed. We have believed the lies told us for years. The church morning lies that were told to us about, well, you never know, and this can't be, and I better watch out. We believe that. We settled back and just looked longingly at Canaan's fair and happy land. We knew the cake was across the lake, but we didn't know how to get there because somebody told us we couldn't. And one day somebody said, yes, you can. And boy, a little bit of reality. The darkness was having a struggle that morning. You can go across the lake and have you a piece of cake. Well, ah, ah. Read it for yourself. And you begin to read for yourself. Instead of just reading and saying, yeah, I see what it said. No, read it. And then suddenly the light begins to come across and begins to penetrate this darkness. And for the first 
time in your whole adult life or your young life, things begin to make sense. The Bible calls it perceiving or perception. You begin to perceive what God is saying, and you find yourself going, really? Can it really be, Lord? Can it really be? And you read it again. Faith comes how? By hearing and hearing by the word. And now you've got what you've always believed, and you're hearing it again, and now you're hearing what God says, and there's a war. Boy, you lean towards what is sensible and reasonable and everybody accepts as opposed to what is hard to understand and most people reject. But you know it's God. There's some kind of a divine influence here you've never had before, but now you're getting it. Something's coming into your life and showing you a different and a better way. This new and better way, that's the abundant life. That's the life that's on his level. It's a life that God has given to his people, not to make them rich or famous, not at all, but to make you as such a person that your testimony is inspiring to others because you are an overcomer. Nothing gets you down, and you're quite pleased and happy with what God is doing with your life. And people can understand. If you want to have happiness in this life, you've got to have a castle. Two travel trailers, a Cadillac, and something else. And really, you find out, I don't need any of that. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. It's just that there's a whole lot of that stuff I have no interest in. Somebody told his wife, he said, honey, I got a job coming up. We're going to start eating on golden plates. We are going to hit it right. I mean, golden plates. And his wife said, honey, will the food taste any better? No different than eating on a paper plate. Just all right here. And so this light begins to penetrate. And you begin to see things. It gets all the way down to, well, where your mind is being renewed. It gets up there and it begins to affect the way you've been thinking. So now you begin to challenge the old ways. God confirms his way. He does something to make it real to you. And then faith is a product of all of that. And your faith begins to reach out and claim things that other people would never dare claim. And you claim it, and it came to pass, and folks went, what? How do you get that car? Nobody would just give you something like that. How do you get it? You would have thought they had internet then. Yeah, you would have thought they had Facebook then. All the nosy, backbiting, tail-bearing people. Yeah, what do you get? I don't know. What do you got? We know. We got. What you get? I don't know. I didn't get anything. What? I'm glad that never happens here. Praise God. I'm glad we don't have information, folks here. But anyway, back in those days, they oh, where did you get that? Where did it come from? I just kept telling them, I said, I have no idea. I just know how to start it. I know how to drive it. And I know it's paid for. Get in and smell it. Go, smells new. Yeah, I've never had one of them before. A little church I was in, they begin to listen. Somewhere in your life, you begin to listen. You begin to know there's something better than the way the world lives. That's why you're here. There's something more that God has to offer you than what has been the status quo out in the world. Jesus said, 
He said, I want you to go open their eyes, Paul. I want you to turn them from darkness to light. The message I'm going to give you is going to change people's lives. Some may not receive it. There are also tares, but you're going to speak to my people. I'm going to give you a word. It's not what everybody's saying. That's not what God is doing anyway. I'm going to give you a word, and I'm going to open people's eyes and their hearts while you speak, and they're going to see something they've never seen before, just like you did. And they're going to wrestle with things that they're unsure of because, well, that's what you did. But the result is, I'm going to bring you to a, the green uh, pasture. What is it? He leads me where? Green pastures and still waters. That sounds better than a ghetto that he's going to do something that's going to bring us up out of the uh, into the hallelujah. Paul, your message will do that to your people. And everywhere you go, when they get their eyes open, the Spirit of God will be working with you. You're going to find people coming out of darkness. You're going to find lives changed and turned around, and, and you're going to find all these things happening. What did he say at the end of that verse? Something about an inheritance? Those of you that looked at it, did he say anything about an inheritance? An inheritance. Does that mean we have one? Listen, an inheritance is not earned. You can't read more of the Bible, fast two more days a week. An inheritance is given. And the Bible speaks, there's a lot of verses, I found a lot of scriptures about the word inheritance. You know, amongst those that are sanctified, amongst those that have been set apart unto God, God has given them something. That in itself ought to make you look forward to that. Not only is it heaven, but, you know, while you're here, there's things that God has given to you. You've been delivered from the power of darkness, from the thief that comes to kill and steal and destroy. Those things are not the pattern of your life anymore. You're not to live like that anymore. Jesus come to change all of that. Quit talking about all the negative stuff that's going on in your life. Jesus came to change all of that. Think on these things. If anything be lovely and honest and true and of a good report and so forth, he said, think on these things. Isn't that what he said? Your mind is being renewed to do exactly that. What God gives you, ponder it, meditate on it. Meditate on it. You'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water whose leaf doesn't fade and it bears its fruit in its season and whatever you put your hands to will prosper. Think on it. Think about it. That's what he's promised if you meditate in his word. But that's what he wants. Turn to Isaiah 61 because Jesus came to open our eyes to turn us from darkness and to give us an inheritance. Now, Isaiah 61, beginning at verse 1. This happened to be the very first sermon that Jesus preached. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus went into the temple on that day, and they gave him a scroll, and he opened it up to this verse of Scripture because it tells what he came to do the acceptable year of the Lord or the year that God's favor began to change things on this earth, what Jesus came to do. But anyway, let's begin the first part of it. He said, the spirit of the Lord God 
is upon me. Is there a word called because after that? Now, if you're a thinking person, if you read like that and you read that and you find that word because and you stop right there and you think, why would he put because? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Why didn't he say the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to preach the gospel? Or why did he say the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because? Is it something that we need? Was it something that was a part of what he came to do? Jesus had just, oh, 40 or 45 days before this, he'd been baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. Remember, there was a voice and a symbol, and the voice said, this is my beloved son. Remember that? And the Holy Spirit came down. And then he immediately went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to be tested of the devil. Difficult, harsh time out there. I can't describe the Judean wilderness for you, just south of Jerusalem. Not very far, you go into a maze. Really a rugged, rugged place. I cannot imagine a night spent there, let alone part of a day. But he was there 40 days and 40 nights to prove by the choices he made that he was who he said he was. The devil says, if you're him, do this. If you're him, do that. If you're him, do this. So he was taken there to be tested. And then he came out. He came out, he overcame, and he walked right into the church, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because... And just as he was upon Jesus, folks, he needs to be upon us. The life that Jesus came to describe needs the power of the Holy Ghost to describe it. The power to overcome that daily cry that you have, you need the Spirit of God to help you overcome it. Those thoughts of anguish and forlornness, those lonely feelings and those dark days that you think you're having too many of, you need the Holy Spirit to help you get out of that. That's not what God brought you. But he said, the Spirit of God is upon me because, number one, he has anointed me to preach the good news. He's anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Now, the meek, various definitions in the Hebrew dictionary for the word meek. We think of meek as a shy, backward, humble person. It can mean that because God had people like that. But it also has to do with being oppressed. I have noticed I don't say much about it. I have a certain kind of sensitivity to it, and spiritually speaking, about oppression I can see it sometimes in people's faces. You watch their life, you can see evidence of it. Doesn't mean they walk around in a gloom. It's just some people don't get out of it very often. But it includes the oppressed. The meek could include the, the oppressed. It could refer to those that are in dire straits. He said, the Spirit of the Lord God, listen, is upon me to bring you some information, to bring you glad tidings. This is a good message, he said. I'm going to tell you something that's good. 
something that will change the course of your life, something that will inspire you because of the work and the effect and the power of the Holy Spirit. When you hear it, it will affect your life and your thinking. And he will begin to elevate you above the world's doom into something that the world cannot defeat. You can overcome the world just like Jesus did. The message I bring is about glad tidings to those that are in those kind of things, even the poor. And the second thing he said was to bind the brokenhearted. Well, he'd be busy today, wouldn't he? He would be busy today. There are people who are brokenhearted, bound physically and spiritually. There are people who can't seem to get over what happened to them at some point in their life or last week. Or they can't get over a loss or a failure or coming up short in some way and being so disappointing either to yourself or to somebody else. And you feel like you're not worthy anymore. And your heart gets broken. You could probably use the word contrite, as he says in chapter 66 and verse 2, to describe a broken heart. It's one that is, is laid low. But see, you don't have a real good testimony if you walk around brokenhearted. There seems to be a crowd in the church that likes to gravitate to brokenhearted people, so they say, oh, bassamo bones. There's nothing wrong with being encouraging and, and being sympathetic either. But there's some people who seek sympathy rather than healing. And there's always that crowd that just wants to talk about how bad it is and how bad it feels. And, oh, you poor soul, it must be awful. And yet there's something better than that. There's deliverance from all of that. He came to set the brokenhearted free. Look at the third thing he speaks of here. The third thing he says, to proclaim liberty to the captives. That doesn't mean if you're not dominated by a foreign country, you know, you're under somebody's rule, that you're a captive. You know, you can be under the Roman gun as the Israelites were in Jesus' day when he said it. And they were captive. They had a certain amount of freedom, but no more than the Romans would let them have. But there's a lot of people that are held captive today. Put your finger right there for a moment. Just briefly look over at 2 Timothy 2 in the last verse. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 25. And he talks about some of those people who have been snared by the devil. Do you see that? It taken captive by the devil at his will. He says that they might recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who have been taken captive by him at his will. Is it still true that the thief who comes to kill and steal and destroy can still capture people and damage their way of thinking, damage their life, damage their hope, doom them and all? Can he still do that? Can he still oppress people? Does he still take away your hopes and your dreams? That's what he does. He's a devil. That's his work. He comes to take, to rob, 
to make you just, there's no hope. That's the devil's work. He takes you captive. He tells you, well, bless your heart. You tried. Come on, you tried. It just didn't work. Come, there's nothing wrong with trying. I mean, but you can't just say that, you know, because you pray, God's going to answer your prayer. I mean, you're trying to control God. You know better than that. You can't control God or tell God what to do like these faith people are doing. Did you read that book by Dr. So-and-so? See, he knew. He understands. But this stuff you're hearing about just asking you shall receive, that doesn't mean you can just ask for anything you want. You can ask to be saved, and that's pretty much the limit of it. But isn't that the best? You start thinking like that. You become captive to the fact that you can only go so far with God and no further. You can get your name written in the land book of life, barely, and then the books close, the doors are closed, the rest of your life is uncertain. And you hear the gospel message of being set free and being loosed or having the abundant life, all you can do is just wonder why it's not working for you. And it might be because of what I just said. Things that linger in the back of your life, you maybe can't even identify them yet because the devil's subtle. Bless your heart, he says. He's subtle. He makes you think that, you know, it's never your problem. You're a victim. You don't have anything to work at and to overcome. You've just been taken advantage of. I mean, nobody can have it their way in this world. Nobody can just do well all the time in this world. That's misleading. You don't have to believe all that stuff. Then what do you have? Then what do you have? Well, you have an uncertain life. You never know. And you're back to the way you were trained in the world. 30 years later, you're no different now than you were then. Because you keep talking yourself out of it. That's why things don't work right for a lot of people. you got to come to the place where you say, if God said it, that settles it. It shall be unto me even as God has spoken unto me. Acts 27, 25. You got to come to that. I want it God's way. I want what God said. I want it the way he said it. I want to press in for it because one thing he did say about receiving answers to prayer is that he glorifies him. And I want to glorify God. If me being well and healthy can glorify God, I want it. If glorifying God means that all my bills are paid, then I want all my bills paid. If glorifying God means I'm content with whatever I have, wherever I am, then I want to be content with what I have, wherever I am. I just want to live a life that reflects the influence of God. Because that, friends, when you live and you move and you have your being in that dimension... You're living the abundant life. This is what pleases God. This is what reflects back to the world, the difference that God makes in your life. The man that has 15 kids, a happy wife, half enough bicycles they can take turns riding, and can get up every day and smile at his neighbors across the street and drive his good enough car to work, he's claimed a better one, but until he gets it, happy of what I got. And the world, his neighbors, nobody can understand. 
How are you ever going to have anything with all those kids? Wait a minute, wait a minute. One of the promises of the abundant life is to have a Help me say quiver. Quiverful. Well, my quiver only has five. I said that once. I have a five-slot quiver, I told somebody one time. I don't know where the other two came from, but I had a five-slot quiver. Is so shall the man be blessed. Is that what it says? Is that the abundant life? If you're blessed, is that the abundant life? Huh. And look how many people live in dread of conceiving and having another child. Folks, we wonder why sometimes we're not doing well. It's because we talk about it, we read about it, and we think about it. It's just that my mind says, well, yeah, and we draw back. And anytime you got this going on, <laughs> it's not abundance. It's a kind of terror, a kind of fear, a dread of God having his way with us. It's just something that, oh, man, doing without or having a, Another little sweet baby to raise. Isn't that awful? <laughs> Not at all. I'm just saying that there's a way the world talks to us. There's a way the Google net talks to people. There's a way that educated, sophisticated acting people describe their ideas about family size and the way they say things that make sense. And so you go back to the way you used to be, the old world's way, the world ways, the world thinks this way. And so you as a Christian say, yeah, well, I agree with that. How in the world are you ever going to advance forward and live the Christian life, the abundant life? We have to let go of it. Do you all understand what I'm saying at all? You've got to be willing when you put your hands on the plow to say it is God and not the world. It's forward and not backwards. No, we're not supposed to be in a contest. Who can have the most kids? No. You leave that up to God. God knows how many to give you, doesn't he? Well, he does. But he said he is taken captive by him at his will. Look at the next one in Isaiah 61, the end of verse 1. The opening of the prison doors to them who are bound. Remember this verse? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. What he said here, he anointed me with the Holy Ghost because he said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about, Acts 10, 38, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. It's a form of oppression. But people get so used to it. They like to talk medical talk. They like to describe medical procedures and medical this and medical that. I think uh, sometimes I wonder, you know more about that stuff in one month than you do about the Word of God for your whole life. What is so alluring about that? God said, the devil comes to steal and to kill and destroy. He wants to make captives out of you people to keep you back where you were just to subdue you spiritually. Make you just happy that you go to church and you're making it one day at a time. And he wants to bind you, 
to where you can't believe anymore. You can't get out of this cage that the devil's got so many people in. And then in verse 3, he said, to comfort those who mourn in Zion, those who lament. Folks, there's a time in all of our lives that we mourn. There's a word for mourning, to comfort those who mourn. It's not wrong to mourn. I mean, there's things that we do mourn about. It shows you have normal feelings. It's not right to continually grieve and mourn the rest of your life. I knew a man once who could do well spiritually until the devil would give him a flashback. He had done some things, I guess, in the military when he was in World War II and fighting on the islands in the Pacific. I guess there's things that just haunted him. And he seemed to do well, and then sometimes he would hit that wall, and he wouldn't show up for another couple of weeks. He had a hard time ever talking about it. He did with me once or twice. But he couldn't get over it. That was the devil's bondage. That was what he mourned about and moaned about, and that's what captured his affections and his attentions. And look at the next one. He says... To a point. Now, the Hebrew word for a point, beauty for ashes, means to place happiness before them or to give them joy and consolation. Beauty, they say it's a difficult word to translate into English and define, but beauty had to do with something of a turban, something of dignity, and some class, rather than ashes, which were used for mourning and despair. God says you've been mourning and been captured and run down and run backwards and overwhelmed most of your life and most of your generations. He said, and here he said, I've come that they might have beauty for ashes to appoint them beauty for ashes. And then he said, the oil of joy for mourning. The oil of joy for mourning. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the the Lord is my strength. Isn't that still true, though? It is true. I'm working on a message for the coming seminar. Part of the message, if I even use it, has a moment for this word joy. For you see, again, I don't want to keep going back and dragging up my past. That's all I've got. I mean, that's the only thing I know for sure. But I don't think I will ever be able to forget in the beginning of my spiritual life the presence of joy most all the time. Just seeing brethren. Why don't we have church every day? Why doesn't Sunday school class last an hour? Instead of that, you know, wasting 10 minutes in here, reading recitation of the little this and then whose birthday and then let's go marching. We're marching to Sunday school. Why don't we just go to Sunday school class and start teaching? I mean, just joy. Anything good that happened, praise God. God said part of the abundant life is that I will give you the oil of joy. It shall flow like a river. Joy. And he also added to that in the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Does your Bible say that? The garment of praise for the spirit of heaven. Who's behind the spirit of heaviness? 
then what will remove heaviness? What removed heaviness from King Saul? Little David, play on your harp, hallelujah, hallelujah. Little David, play on your harp, hallelujah. Y'all never heard this song. I looked over Jordan. And anyway, David went in. You know, Saul was oppressed. He was a sinful man. David play on his harp. And the Bible said the devil would leave Saul. He would leave him. There's something about praise that the devil can't stand. Let God arise <clears throat> and the, let the enemies be scattered. The enemy hates it. And look how easy it has been in this church for the last 20 years to subdue it. Am I being ugly? I can't help part ugly, but, you know, am I acting ugly? Is it true? There was a time people used to sit on the sidewalk to listen to us praise. There ain't no sidewalk here, so it had to be somewhere else. We didn't have air conditioning. We raised the windows, and somebody said, there's a whole crowd of sitting out there by the gables listening to us worship. They never went to church. They never heard it, but there was something about it that was God-inspiring, and they wanted to hear it. Even the Babylonians you know, when we were captured, our tormentors asked us to sing one of the songs of Zion. And we said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And then in Psalm 126, it said, when the Lord turned the captivity of Zion, we were like those that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. Woo! We were, yeah! That is the abundant life. When you can rejoice in the midst of your trials, you are living a life above what is normal. You have your being in Christ. You are in a place where you're saying, let God arise. Hallelujah. I want to thank you, Jesus. I want to thank you for who you are and what you mean and for the reality of all of this. Lord, keep doing your work in my life. In spite of me, Lord, keep doing it. And he said, the garment of praise. Have we ever sang that song? Isn't there a song that says, yes, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What if I came out here and I said, what if I did? Now, you know I'm too nice to do this, but what if I came out here and I said, whoo, there's a lot of weight in here. You say, no, ain't kind of weight I'm talking about. I'm talking about scales, say something's a little too heavy in here. Brother Tom, I'm not talking about biscuits. I'm talking about the scales, say, the spirit of heaviness. Somebody is being bound up with whatever keeps you from worship. How many of you ever been to a basketball, a football, or a baseball game? Four of you. Bunt the rest of you line. <laughs> you could go to a football game with a headache, not feeling too good, but have a free ticket. And you could go there in the midst of that quiet crowd at a big football game, and you'd whoop and holler, especially if somebody ran a touchdown. You know, your favorite team, whoever it is, or somebody you like hit a home run. 
you sit there and go, that's nice. Big football game, somebody runs down the field and catches a dramatic one-handed grab, falls in the end zone, your team wins, and the last moment you watch that pass and you catch, you say, oh, that's nice. That's a nice catch. Mm-hmm. Well, is that it? Game over? Then we can go home? Okay. Well, you'd be whooping and hollering down on the field trying to lift somebody up and carry them around or acting like a... You know what the Bible says? What you've been given, what Jesus came to bring, what Jesus brought, you can't buy it, you can't earn it. It's a gift. You're free. You're going to heaven. When you shut your eyes in this life, if you're saved, you're going to heaven. You're going to live with Jesus forever. Wow. <clears throat> That's nice. Good. Anything else? Not for you. Think of it. Rejoice not that the devil is subject to you. That's the abundant life. Rejoice not because the devil is subject to you. Rejoice not that your barns are full and your closets are full, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I will enter his gates with heaviness in my heart. I will enter his gates with a sacrifice. Sacrifice cost me something. I may not even feel like giving it, but that, that's not the issue. You give it because he wants it. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Amen. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews 2 and verse 14. This, my friends, is the abundant life. The power of the devil, the one Jesus called the thief, the one who comes to kill and to steal and destroy, has been defeated. The devil's legal power has been broken. The only power the devil has now is the power that we give him. Remember the Bible said, don't give place. Ephesians 4, don't give place to the devil. If you give him place then he has a right. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Did he or not? Well, let's see what it says. And... Deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage, including Tom Hamilton. It was me. What else do you say? Let's keep going. For verily Jesus took not on himself the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He became like me. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of his people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. I have before me this morning one who is called the faithful high priest, the captain of my soul, the author and the finisher of faith. 
the one who became like me, not an angel who redeemed me, that can't be, but one who became a man, human flesh, limitations of human flesh. He became like me. He was tempted in all points, chapter 4 says, like I am. And yet he never sinned. And he was able as a sinless man to offer himself without spot unto God who was accepted, proven by the fact that God raised him from the dead. God wouldn't raise an unrighteous man, but he raised Jesus. And our eyes are open. We say everything he said is true. Everything he brought to the table is so. If he said the devil has no place in him, you know what? He has no place in me either. I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, by the power of the almighty God. Amen. Now, but I want you this week to think about this. I want you to ask yourself the question, am I, in my family, at least me, am I living an abundant life? Is there evidence in my life that I'm living abundantly? And again, I'm not necessarily referring to having toys and goods because life does not consist in the abundance of stuff. But in the reflection back to the world of everything that Jesus has taught you. Are you at peace? Have you come out of captivity? Are you unbound? Are you untied? Are you? Are you a good influence? You have a good testimony? Are you living the life that when I see you, I'm inspired? Are you sure and certain that it shall be even as it was told you? Hallelujah. Ask yourself the question. Not because you come here to church, but because God brought you here and you're his, not mine, you're his. Am I living the way he wants me to live? Am I enjoying the benefits of my salvation, Psalm 107? Am I enjoying that? Am I experiencing that? Am I fretting about it? Am I overwhelmed by my losses or other? Hey, what did he say? Get back in the game. Didn't I say that the other day? Get back in the game. Keep your hand on the plow. A righteous man falls. Get up. Let's go. You got a life to live. Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your goodness and your kindness to us. I thank you that you're long-suffering. You're tolerant. You know, Lord, that we are but flesh. We fail easily. We give up easy. Christ does not have the full grip on our hearts that we want him to have. We have resisted him. We have resisted his word. Lord, the world and the trouble it brings still rules in so many ways. I ask you this morning in Jesus' name for deliverance for all of us in this room, all those who watch and listen. Deliver us from all these things that are holding back his glory, holding back his praise that he deserves. Grant us a release 
from anything that ties us down. Help us to step forward and get set free. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.